I wasn't a Christian man, I'd probably be kicking in your ass. Welcome to the latest episode of the JB's Low Tech Podcast. I have to tell you, this one's not going to be easy. I'm in a lot of pain. Nerve regeneration is not fun. Cut into my ankle, of course, which means they hit some nerves. And they're regenerating. And the shooting pain, the numbness, the cold sensation, and everything else that goes with it is not fun at all. So, short update. I'll gut this out and we'll move on. Okay, let's uh, give you a synopsis of today's show. I will give you some updates on some ongoing stories, and then I will answer some questions that were submitted by you, the listeners. I got several questions submitted. I'm going to hit three of them today and uh, answer them the best I can. And we'll do that all here next on the JB's Low Tech Podcast. When you need someone to listen, a lawyer you know and trust. In a world filled with distractions, one law firm stands tall, fighting for justice. Bradshaw and Bryant. I'm Mike Bryant from Bradshaw and Bryant. We take our mission very seriously. Our firm is dedicated to representing those who have suffered due to the fault of others, especially when they're distracted by their phones. Four seconds, that's all it takes to travel the length of a football field, but those same four seconds can change lives forever. Don't be the person who causes irreversible damage to others or yourself. Put your phone down when you're behind the wheel and be aware of your surroundings. Bradshaw and Bryant have championed the rights of the injured for over three decades. We excel at what we do. Bradshaw and Bryant is ready to fight for you. Find Bradshaw and Bryant, personal injury attorneys at minnesotapersonalinjury.com. Seeking justice for the injured. Bradshaw and Bryant. Your mark ready, set, let's go. Dance for pro, I know, you know, I go psycho when my new joint hit. Just can't sit, gotta get jiggy with it. That's it, now honey, honey, come ride. TKNY, all up in my eyes. You gotta try to bag with a lot of stuff in it. Give it to your friend, let's spin. Everybody looking at me, glancing at the kid. Wishing they was dancing a jig here with this handsome kid. Sick a cigar right from Cuba Cuba. I just bite it. It's for the look, I don't light it. It'll weigh the ammo on the hand, stay more play. Give it up, jiggy, make it feel like four play. Yo, my cardio is infinite. Ha <laughs> Big Willie Styles all in it. Getting jiggy with it. And I'm back. Hopefully I can get jiggy with it and uh, put on a good show and answer some questions today. So, number one of the updated stories, college football coaches. What is going on? We thought it was bad the last couple of years when the top name basketball coaches all decided it was time to get out. But they were older Kind of understood it, but you have coaches now leaving as a head coach to become a coordinator in the pros 
or to become a coordinator at a rival school, at a school within their conference. In the case of UCLA, their coach leaving to go to become the uh, the coordinate offensive coordinator at Ohio State, and you see others that leave head coaching bigger head coaching jobs for smaller head coaching jobs or other coordinator jobs. What is causing this? Well, there's several factors that are starting to pop up. One is some of them are about to get fired. In the case of Chip Kelly, or as I call him, Chunk Kelly, because he's kind of hefty, when he left, all of a sudden left UCLA for Ohio State, their relationship between the school and he were, was not good. They were going to fire him at the end of last season. Then he somehow beat USC, and they kept him on. He doesn't want to recruit hard. He hates NIL, and he just wants to be a ball coach. So he ran to Ohio State where <clears throat> a former athlete of his, Ryan Day, at a smaller eastern northeastern college, played quarterback for him. So there's a prior relationship. Some people call it tampering that you reached out and yanked a coach off of an existing team. But that happened with coaches all the time. And it's now happening with the athletes. So that's one of the factors. The other factors, as I said, they want a better fit. There was one coach that left a staff as a coordinator to go to South Carolina to become a coordinator. Well, he has a sick kid, and he had other – no, he, he doesn't have a sick kid. His family remained in South Carolina when he took the job. And so I think there was kind of some relationship rough between him and his wife to get his butt back to South, South Carolina and live with the family. The coach that I was thinking about who has the sick kid – was uh, Bill O'Brien, who left Ohio State after being hired to, for like two to three weeks as the office coordinator to become the head coach at Boston College. Well, his son, who has some very debilitating Ill illness, is uh, receiving treatment in Boston, and it was just easier for the family, plus he's now a head coach and not an offense coordinator, to take the job and be in Boston to help his son. The other thing is Bill O'Brien, not O'Rion, Bill O'Brien's roots are in Boston. You know, he was an assistant coach so, uh, several times for the Patriots. Also, he coached at, um, he was the head coach at Penn State. So he has Eastern roots. He needed to get back to Boston, take care of his son. But a lot of them are leaving because, of, like I said, they're about to get fired or they're just tired of NIL and the transfer portal and having to recruit and having a recruit in their face telling them how much money they want in NIL, which they're not even supposed to communicate about, and all the other changes that take place for, you know, Dylan trying to keep your roster as you poach other rosters and they are just tired of the game and they just rather coach ball. They rather be a position coach. 
And in a lot of those cases, they probably, one of the grievances is that they have nothing or little to do with recruiting. They're just there to coordinate the offense or the defense and coach ball. So that's some of the reasons why this is happening. It keeps happening. It's going to keep happening. So keep your eye out on it. Florida State versus uh, the ACC. Update on that. The ACC filed a motion to have Florida State's uh, motion to leave the ACC either stayed or dismissed in court. So this is starting to heat up. Florida State is claiming that the president signed the grant to rights and he didn't have the wherewithal to do so. It was supposed to be the board that signed off on that. Now, I can understand that the ACC will counter back and say that the president is the official representative of the Board of Regents of, of your school. But Florida State is grasping, like I think I told you last week, grasping at straws, throwing spaghetti against a wall and see if they can find a loophole or find something that sticks. George Klyakov, the infamous commissioner of the Pac-12, which is now the Pac-2, who spent a year and a half supposedly negotiating a Pac-12 con- uh, TV deal. He did such a terrible job, the conference dissolved him for in, in front of his eyes. Now, he, as I think I stated in an earlier episode, got bad information from a Utah professor of economics that told him that the Pac-12 should be valued just like the Big Ten or the SEC for no less than $50 million. And he held his gun to it because he had some presidents pressing him to stick with that, and he had this information. Never did he, like, try to counteroffer once Fox and ESPN said, nope, we're out. He didn't say, how about 40? How about how about 30? Or whatever it was. And it just dissolved to the point of the ridiculous Apple TV offer that they wound up with and the conference just dissolving. All you got left is Florida, I mean Florida State, not Florida State, Washington State and Oregon State who are going to play teams in the Mountain West this year plus their in-state rival. So Oregon State will play Oregon and Washington State will play Washington. But outside of that, they will be playing basically in an official Mountain West schedule. Their president of Washington State keeps slowing up and screwing up the final vote for the college football playoff. Uh, I don't know if you people remember or know, they don't have an official format for this coming up season, and they still have a two-year deal with the ESPN. They want, the powers want to have it to be the top five, which would be the four power conferences the ACC, the Big 12, the Big 10, and the SEC, and then the highest-ranked group of five. Washington keeps, I mean, Washington State keeps threatening that they will withhold their vote, which would make them, for the next two years, have to play six and six, which would mean there would be two group of five teams 
on top of the Power 5 teams and then six at-large bids. So as I've heard this all explained, he's acting like the guy standing in front of the tanks in China and Tiananmen Square, and <laughs> he knows he's got a very short leash, but he's got a little power, and he's trying to flex it as much as possible. Well, I asked you to uh, send me some questions, and like I said, a handful of you did. I picked three for today's show. I didn't want this to be a long show because, as I stated, uh, not muscle, not vein. I can't think. Nerve. <laughs> Nerve regeneration is, a, is nothing to play with. And I want to make this short so I can get back to a comfortable position. I'm doing this with an ice pack on my leg. I did my exercises for the day, and my leg is pretty numb. Anyway, first question. How did collegiate and high school sports get to become such a hot mess? Well, it's, it's, it's a multi-prong, but it all starts with the NC2A. And when I speak of the NC2A, I'm talking about their membership. Uh, that's all the schools that are in the NC2A. They have the voting power, not the president of the NCAA. He's just a figurehead, people. He just kind of keeps things moving and whatnot. He really doesn't have any power. The presidents of the universities are the ones who vote on rule changes and whatnot. So please understand that. But what happened was, over the years, after Oklahoma, and it was one other school, I can't remember, sued the NCAA to open up their TV rights because the NCAA back in the 50s and 60s, did have control of television. And you had very few games. I think you had five games on a weekend. And so that meant that teams, a lot of teams weren't being seen. Uh, the revenue that was coming from it wasn't a lot. And Oklahoma and the other school knew that if they could win this case, which they took it all the way to the Supreme Court, if they could win the case, they could be on TV every week, locally, plus nationally in some cases. Well, they won the suit. Now, I know you're asking what this has to do with how that screwed things up. Well, it only began, begun or began the greed of college athletics. And as more and more TV contracts were made, then conferences got together and made TV contracts for even more money, and just more greed, higher greed. Uh, the, the coaches were being paid more. The administrators are being paid more. And now we're down to the athletes have finally won, and they're going to get paid. There's the, the powers to be are trying to slow this as possible, so they hopefully get antitrust help from Congress. Congress, I think, is just screwing them along and taking their money. They need to act, and that's why the Big Ten and the SEC have gotten together, and they're looking at they have an advisory committee made up of presidents and athletic directors and the two commissioners to look at how 
to start paying their athletes. Who gets paid? How much they get paid? Do, do this become collectively bargained? Do we treat them like employees? And if those two conferences do it, it will become nationwide. Now, how does that affect high school sports? It dripped down to high school sports. High school athletes now have NIL deals too. Certain states, like the state of Missouri, where I'm from, allows kids to have a higher, uh, higher NIL deal in the state of Missouri than they would elsewhere. State of Minnesota also has a high school, allows the high school athletes, if they can get an NIL deal, to have one. And so this is, uh, I shouldn't use the word corrupting, but this is having an effect on the high school athlete and their behavior, especially their parents' behavior, and they're chasing the dollar. You, I, a couple of years ago, you had an athlete who didn't play his senior year, not because of injury, because he didn't want to get injured. And it actually cost him where he wound up being recruited. Those colleges want to see your senior year to feel good, even if you commit your junior year. They want to see that you're, you're committed, that you're the person that they thought you were. So, But it is dripped down to the high school athlete, it is affecting their decision making. Uh, it is just—I don't—I don't know what more to say. It's not going away, unless they make them employees. Then, I guess all the NIL won't go away, but I guess all the high school athlete can do at that point is try to get an NIL deal. They won't get any money from a college but they can have an NIL deal. Next question. I'm sorry, the first question was sent in by Mike B. in Missouri. The second question is was sent in by Danny in Missouri. Will NIL help or hurt HBCUs? Well, as Dion proved, it just depends. It depends on the power of the head coach. Dion's players, while he was in, while he was in a, it was a Jackson State at a HC at HBCU. They had great NIL deals, and they took those deals to Colorado. Not a lot of coaches at that level will have the ability to get those type deals made for their athletes at that level. I mean, people were buying into the power of Dion more than the power of the athletes. So I would have to say it's going to hurt HBCUs to the effect that it's going to be a little bit harder to recruit against those NIL dollars. The other facet that's going to hurt those colleges at that level is they're going to get their athletes poached. You know, a kid that goes there, plays his freshman year or so, and he gets an uh, NIL offer, which is illegal, but it goes on. He gets an NIL offer and he comes back to his school and he goes, well, I'll stay, but they're offering me 30000 What can you do? HC, HBCUs 
cannot match that. And they know they can't match it. They might be able to do food deals at rest, local restaurants or maybe uh, a picture in a program that gets a kid a couple of grand or whatever, but they're not going to be able to match even the tens of thousands of dollars. And you got some kids making the hundreds of thousands of dollars. You know, you, you spend the time, you develop a young man and they have a great year and somebody at a higher level looks at that and go, hey, he looks like he can fit our program. Maybe we can get him to come here. And they offer the money, which is illegal, and the kid leaves, which weakens that HBCU uh, program. Now, what happens beyond that is your Power 5 schools are finding out that they're getting hit the same way. They're developing young talent and losing it after their freshman or sophomore year, after they spent the time to develop, feed, get them stronger and all those things to the power conferences. That's the way it's, that's the way this is all set up. That's the way it's going to be until they become employees and it becomes collectively bargained. And then when you have a contract, I mean, you, yes, you have a contract. You sign your name on the dotted line. It'll return back to the old days of, well, now you're stuck. You signed here. And if you want to go, we're going to tell you where you can go. Maybe those contracts will only be good for a year if the athletes are smart or for two years. But the schools will probably say four years, but understand something. I think that gate will only swing one way, meaning if they don't want you around, they will release you. you know, they will let you transfer. So that gate only, you know, if you, if you want to go, I guess you'd have to say withhold your, um, your talent, which is going to make it hard to transfer, or act out, which is going to make it hard to transfer. So... There will be no uncle or aunt dialysis to go back home to. They're going to hold you to it. And that's what these colleges are trying to put together. They're trying to bide their time until they can get all, all, the, uh, all their eggs in a basket and come out with this legislation and hoping that also that the Congress will come in and help them. Last question. And it's a multi-pronged question from Marty, who's traveling the country, so I can't even tell you where he is, but it's about gambling. And he wants to know several things about gambling. One is, is the NCAA securing the issue around gambling? Well, they are and they're not. And I think I kind of answered Marty back. Uh, via a message, I told him it was a simple answer. Um, and then he also goes on to add, ask what penalties can be levied against a college or athlete who are betting on games. Well, let me take the first part of this, Marty. And it is um, those, the first thing you're told 
as an athlete and as an employee is do not gamble in any sports where there's a professional sport. So meaning don't gamble in football, basketball, baseball, hockey, soccer. What if there's a professional level, do not bet on it. They would always tell us, if you want to bet, go bet on horses. Because <laughs> there's not college horse racing. Or you can go to a casino. Not to bet on sports games. You can't bet on college sports. You can't bet on pro sports. Doesn't matter. You can't bet on either one. You can play blackjack and, you know, poker or whatever. But that's that's about it. They, they would hammer that rule in when you first got there. What is the NCAA doing about securing outside of telling you not to bet? They kind of work with the casinos in their area, but they leave most of the uh, most of the overseeing of trying to make sure that their athletes aren't betting up to the state and federal level. And that's where and at Iowa, a couple of years ago, a bunch of their players got caught gambling. One kid even gambled on Iowa games. But they were gambling. Some were gambling under their parents' name because you have to be a certain age. These people were underage. And some of them knew they weren't supposed to be gambling, so that's why they had their parents to sign up for an account, and they used their parents' account. It's still a no to do that. Penalties, loss of a season, or loss of your college career, if it's really bad enough. Most so far have been half a season, a whole season, a couple of games. But the NC2A is allowing the, the feds to, or the state, to monitor who's gambling and whatnot, and then taking the information and level, uh, leveling the penalties and guessing the athletes. Or in one case at the University of Alabama, I think I talked about last week, where you had a coach who was dumb enough to inform an even bigger dummy that his starting pitcher wasn't going to pitch today and that they would be a big underdog. And the guy went to the casino and said he wanted to put, uh, I think it was $50,000 or $500,000, some huge amount, on a college baseball game. The, the location wouldn't take it, figured something was up. The guy then spilled the beans as an idiot, was like, hey, but I got inside information. You never say in a casino that you have inside information. You just take what they'll give you. I think they were going to allow him to bet up to 15 grand. He should have just left. He should have just lived with that bet, gotten whatever he was going to get from the bet, and moved on with his life. He destroyed that coach's career, which probably that coach deserved. And he, there are some legal ramifications for insider information and trading that. So it will be interesting how the feds 
handle that. You got to remember the feds, the states have part of that, but the feds overlook that too because it's interstate money that's being hands are being that it's changing hands, and so the feds overlook it. So, Marty, the schools don't have to overlook it. They have two entities plus the casinos, so actually three. I think in a, actually in the student-athletes at Iowa, I believe it was the state and the casinos that busted the kids. So those entities have rules in place, and they work. So kids, buyer beware, don't bet like you've been told to. Marty had a third prong of his question. Who pays for the monitoring of illegal sports gambling? As I just stated, the casinos and the state and the feds. The schools walk away scot clean on that, and then they get the information if it's one of their athletes, and then they level levy the penalties on the athletes. So, as as it stated, don't bet. Marty goes on and he gives his opinion on something. In my opinion, when the public can bet on all college sports, every collegiate af- athletics player should be paid some stipend from the profits of the betting and media networks, corporations, with the percentage going to individual state universities and colleges. And that the private schools should set up their own deal. Here's the thing, the schools, not all the schools are getting money from casinos. Some schools are refusing that money. So to set up something like that is kind of probably unfair. The best thing that you can do is set up some type of advertisement deal with the your local c- casino, like here or like the state of Minnesota has a lottery and you go to a sporting event and they give away free 50 free lottery scratch offs to some lucky winner and then get a plug over the PA announcer saying who sponsored the uh, tickets. That's about the most that those schools, now they're going to get money from advertisement. So that's a separate deal. But as for actual bets, that doesn't happen because now you're getting back to the whole, what if this kid throws a game or what if a coach throws a game and what if an athletic director pulls a kid off a team because he needs to have a game one or something. That's, that's why they don't get involved in any of that. Schools make their money in advertisement, not bets. Well, I want to thank Mike Danny and Marty for their questions. Please, people, keep your questions coming. For me, that was fun. That was interesting. After this commercial message, I'll wrap this episode up so I can get back in my comfortable seat here on the JB's Low Tech Podcast. Wait a minute. Was that text you sent so important you missed your turn? So important you just ran a red light? Is that next text so important that you won't see the ball roll into the street and the child chasing it? Hi, I'm Mike Bryant from Bradshaw and Bryant. 
Please remember that having your eyes off the road for as little as four seconds equals 100 yards. That's the length of an entire football field. And when your eyes are off the road that long, anything can happen. If you need to text, please pull off the road. Texting and driving isn't worth it. It's against the law, and it may cause serious injury to you or others, or even death. That's more important than anything you'll text. Please don't text and drive. I hope you're never hurt in a collision, but if you are, please contact us. Find Bradshaw and Bryant, personal injury attorneys at minnesotapersonalinjury.com. Working harder, going farther, with Mike Bryant on your side, seeking justice for the injured. That song kind of encapsulated my time as a young teenager. It's called Ghetto Life by Rick James. So, yeah, I would do some of those things. I didn't do drugs, luckily, but we would find a way to get a beer or something every once in a while. So I want to thank people for sending in the questions. Please uh, submit your questions. I have a, a Facebook group for JB's Low Tech Podcast. You can go there and submit your questions. You can email me at jb's, uh, J-A-Y-B-E-E-780 at comcast.com or .net. I think either way it will work. And also, if you know me, you can email me or you can text me directly. So... Keep the questions coming. Like I said, I found that to be fun and interesting. And until next time, I'm going to keep doing my rehab, my convalescing, and my icing, and keep hoping that these nerves regenerate so this goes away. But until next time, thank you for listening to the JB's Low Tech Podcast. JB is my name, and f***ing up motherfuckers is my game. Right on. Negro, black, African-American, black, black, black. Django, J. B. Damn, Dolomite. Great card in heaven, you know I J. B. Our great Negro sex machine.